Okay, we are going to be reading today, uh, picking up on the chronological life of Jesus. And we read last time about how Jesus had, had, had to flee, had to leave from uh, Nazareth because they were going to kill him. So they were going to kill him in this town of Nazareth. He had gone in to the synagogue. He had shared with them. And he said some things, just quoting to them their own scriptures, two stories from their own scriptures. The, the widow woman from Zarephath with Elijah, with Elijah, and then Naaman, Naaman the Syrian, with Elisha, how God had reached out to Gentiles. And as a result of him just telling them two stories from their own scriptures, they wanted to kill him. And they went from really favoring his words and being so supportive of him and uh, to wanting to kill him. And then there's a, there's a short portion in Matthew chapter 4, which men- mentions his leaving Nazareth. <clears throat> Matthew, that's in Matthew chapter, chapter 4. Um, is that in Matthew chapter 4? It's in... Uh, yeah, Matthew chapter 4, verse 12. No, we'll pick it up in verse 13. Matthew chapter 4, verse 13. And leaving Nazareth, he came and he settled in Capernaum, which is by the sea, in the region of Zebulun and Naphtali. So, it says that he left Nazareth. So, Nazareth, from Nazareth, so when he first came into the Galilee, Galilee of the Gentiles, he went up to Cana, the place where he had done the first miracle at the wedding feast. Now, he came back up there, he went there, and so this was his, his, his time in Galilee of the Gentiles. He first went to Cana, then from Cana, he went about five miles south to Nazareth, south, south, uh, um, west to Nazareth, and he stayed in Nazareth for a very short amount of time. As soon as he started teaching in the synagogue, it happened to him what we read about last week, and then he leaves now Nazareth. And so that's what this says, that after Nazareth, uh, he went to Capernaum in, in, in Matthew chapter 4, verse 13. So from Nazareth, he goes to Capernaum. Capernaum is about... 25 miles uh, northeast of of, uh, um, of Nazareth. So Capernaum is this, remember, it's that city which is just north of the Sea of Galilee, the Sea of Gennesaret. Just to the north of it, it's about 500 feet below sea level, just at, at, at the Sea of Galilee there, just on the shore of the Sea of Galilee. So that's where he goes. And then it says in verse 14 of Matthew, chapter 4, this was to fulfill what was spoken through Isaiah the prophet. The land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, by the way of the sea, beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. The, peoples who, the, the people who were sitting in darkness saw a great light, and those who were sitting in, in the land and shadow of death, upon them the light dawned. So it turns out there are these two tribes, the two tribal, historic tribal areas, in which Jesus was now ministering. So the land of, uh, um, of Nazareth, that city of Nazareth is in the land of Zebulun, and this, this city of Capernaum is in the land of Naphtali. So there was this promise that was given 700 years earlier by, by um, Isaiah that, that this great light would come, and, and uh, the scripture tells us that that was a prophecy concerning Jesus. So now let's turn on back to Luke chapter 4. And in Luke chapter 4, we're going to pick up exactly where we left off last week. So it was that little little verse in, in, in Matthew that it told us about uh, 
Jesus leaving Nazareth, and it says the same thing in, in Luke chapter 29, in, I'm sorry, Luke chapter 4, verse 30, but passing through their midst, he went his way, and verse 31. So Luke chapter 4, verse 31. And he came down to Capernaum, a city of Galilee, and he was teaching them on the Sabbath. And they were amazed at his teaching, for his message was with authority. In the synagogue there was a man possessed by a demon, uh, I'm sorry, possessed by the spirit of an unclean demon. And he cried out with a loud voice, Let us alone. What business do we have with each other, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be quiet and come out of him. And the demon had thrown, the, thrown him down in the midst of the people, and he came out of him without doing him any harm. And amazement came upon them all. And they began talking with one another, saying, What is this message? For with authority and power he commands the unclean spirits, and they come out. And the report about him was spreading to every locality in the surrounding district. Okay, so this portion, this is when he first comes down. So remember, he leaves Nazareth. He goes uh, northeast to, to uh, Capernaum on the Sea of Galilee, just at the top of the Sea of Galilee there. And he starts ministering. The first thing he does is on the Sabbath, he goes into the synagogue. On the Sabbath day, he goes into the synagogue. And remember, there is no synagogue in the Old Testament uh, ever mentioned, but this was a human uh, invention, and it turned out to be a good thing. Jesus participated in the synagogue. There is no commandment that they had to be on the Sabbath day in the synagogue, but that was Jesus' practice. That is what he would do. Paul, that was Paul's practice. He would go into the synagogue and start ministering on the Sabbath day. There were no churches on every corner. And, they would, and it says that they would gather together on the first day of the week. So the Jews were then gathering together on the first day of the week, which is our Sunday, and that was their, their, their Christian gathering. But at this time, there were no Christians. I mean, it was, it was only Jews. Jesus had not yet died. So Jesus had this practice of going to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, even though there was no such command. And I had mentioned last week, we are not commanded to be in church on Sunday morning. There is no commandment that you will see in the New Testament. However, my experience is, if you're not there, you won't do well. I was just, just with a man recently who came at, to, to my home, and they had been, they'd been very active in the church, very active. But uh, a couple of years ago, they bought a home, uh, uh, another home, uh, it just a home on, on, the, uh, on the water not far from here, and they got in the habit of every weekend just going down to this home to fix it up. And they stopped serving in the church and st- stopped going to the church. And the man said, Satan just moved right in at that time. And he was talking about the destruction of his marriage, the destruction of his kids' lives, and, and what started moving in. And that for me is nothing new. I wasn't like, oh, I'm shocked to hear such a thing. You had been so active. And it just fell apart when you stopped participating in the life of the church. I've seen this many times. I saw another woman once, several years ago. I, I, I started asking her, I said, how come I don't see your husband coming to church anymore? She says, oh, well, he's always taking the kids fishing on the weekends. I say, oh, that's not a good thing. She says, no, I'm not happy about it at all. Well, a year later, he was back in the church, and she had run off with another man, and he was begging God to have mercy on his marriage. I knew another guy. He had gotten this habit of taking his kids out to play ball every Sunday morning. 
And uh, uh, he stopped going to the church. Well, when the kids got into their teens, they stopped going to the church. Because what happens is, children see our hypocrisy before anybody else. And they will do as we do. Not as, 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 uh, as we say. And, and so, you can instill in the life of your family, if you get in this practice... And as believers, without this regular fellowship, without this area of service, things will begin to fall apart. I have seen it many, many times. That's why I won't miss church. I mean, I will do whatever I can to get to church. It, it, it takes a huge virus to knock me out so I'm not going to church. And even when our kids were little, if the kid got a sniffle, we didn't stay home. We brought the kid and infected everybody else. Now, if, if they had the flu, you know, one of us stayed home. We didn't have the whole family staying home because one little kid is sick. One of us stayed home with the little kid and the rest of us went to church. It was an important thing. You see the same pattern in Jesus' life. It was his pattern. It was not a commandment, but it was his pattern. There are practices that may not be commandments, but they are good. We have the commandment that says, Do not neglect the fellowship of the saints, which is the habit of some, but encourage one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. That's in Hebrews 10.25. So there is the commandment that we are to be in fellowship. Now there's this, this whole community in the body of Christ, and without it, it is very hard for a family to survive well. With the Lord, and what happens is you, you, be, you, you begin to get away from this, and you think it's okay. You know, I'm, I'm just fine. I can read the Bible on my own. But the enemy will insert right into that thing, and in a couple of years, you're going to be crying out as a result of that. All right. So Jesus goes into this this synagogue, and he starts to minister to them on the Sabbath day in Capernaum. And I thought about this because just up in Luke chapter chapter four, just above this, he had gone into the synagogue. If we look in verse 16, in Nazareth, he says, And he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, and as was his custom, he entered the synagogue on the Sabbath, and he stood up to read. So he had gone into a synagogue on the Sabbath day in Nazareth. And then as a result of that, in verse, it says, uh, uh, in verse 29, And they got up and drove him out of the city, led him to the brow of the hill, on which their city had been built, in order to throw him down the cliff. But passing through their midst, he went his way. So, they tried to kill him. But yet, the very next Sabbath day, he's in a city 20-25 miles away, going right back into a synagogue and minister. Don't you find this somewhat strange? If you had gone into minister the Lord in a particular synagogue, and they tried to kill you, Would you get up and go 20 miles away and go into another synagogue and try this all over again? What makes a man do this? What would make him go back? Why didn't you just say, well, forget these people. I'll just go to the Gentiles. You know, forget it. It's too dangerous to go minister to Jews. They try to kill you. What would make him do this again? What makes a man go once again and risk his life Yet again, why should he do this? What is the character within a person that they would do this? And this is exactly what God calls us to as believers. To go into situations that are not necessarily comfortable. 
He calls us into these things. I had some, some folks over our house on Thursday and I was reading them this portion that I was going to be sharing from today. And, and I want to read you this. This is uh, from, from a book by, by Charles Spurgeon. Charles Spurgeon was the Prince of Preachers. He was the, one of the greatest preachers that is said to ever have been. 1,900 of his sermons are all written down and recorded and you can get, you, you, you can, uh, you can get a CD of, of them all, but on, on my Kindle I got all of his sermons, all 1,900 of them, plus several of his books for, I think it was a dollar. Uh, uh, so they, they, they sell these on, on Kindle because they think it has no value. I mean, this is the greatest treasure I have on my Kindle, is, is this. And so you, you can get all of this. But this is a portion from one of his books, and he has this book called Lectures to My Students, where he's running a Bible college, and he's teaching students how to be ministers of the gospel. This is what he's teaching them, how to minister the Word of God, how to be ministers of the gospel. And before a student could get into his Bible college, he would interview them. They would go through a little test to make sure they had the heart to be a minister of the gospel. And on one occasion, he had one of the other professors in his Bible college do the interview of this young man to make an assessment whether he should get entrance into the Bible college because this, to, to, this young man wanted to be a missionary one day. And so this, this uh, other professor wants to put him through a little test for the interview. So listen to this, this interview process, and then, and then we'll talk a little bit about it. So here's the interview process of this, this one young man. From some one or other, I heard in a conversation of a plan adopted by Matthew Wilkes for examining a young man who wanted to be a missionary. The drift, if not the detail of the test, commends itself to my judgment, though not to my taste. The young man desired to go to India as a missionary in connection with the London Missionary Society. Mr. Wilkes was appointed to consider his fitness for such a post. He wrote to the young man and told him to call upon him at six o'clock the next morning. The brother lived many miles off, but he was at the house at six o'clock punctually. Mr. Wilkes did not, however, enter the room till hours after. The brother waited wonderingly, but patiently. At last, Mr. Wilkes arrived and addressed the candidate thus, in his usual nasal tones. Well, young man, so you want to be a missionary? Yes, sir. Do you love the Lord Jesus? Yes, sir, I hope I do. Have you had any education? Yes, sir, a little. Well, now, we'll try, we'll try you. Can you spell cat? The young man looked confused and hardly knew how to answer so preposterous a question. His mind evidently halted between indignation and submission, but in a moment he replied steadily, C-A-T, cat. Very good, said Mr. Wilkes. Now can you spell dog? Our young mar martyr hesitated. Then Mr. Wilkes said in his coolest manner, Oh, never mind. Don't be bashful. You spelt the other word so well that I should think you will be able to spell this, high as the attainment is. It is not so elevated, but what you might do, you, you might do it without blushing. The youthful Job replied, D-O-G, dog. Well, that is right. I see you will do well in your spelling. And now for your arithmetic. How many are twice two? It was a wonder that Mr. Wilkes did not receive twice two after the fashion of a muscular Christianity. But the patient young get, but the patient youth gave the right reply and was dismissed. Matthew Wilkes at the committee meeting said, I cordially recommend that young man. 
His testimonials and character I have duly examined, and besides that, I have given him a rare personal trial, trial such as few could bear. I tried his self-denial. He was up in the morning early. I tried his temper, and I tried his humility. He can spell cat and dog, and can tell that twice two makes four, and he will do well for the missionary field, exceedingly well. Now, now what the old man, what, what the old gentleman is thus said to have done with, with exceedingly bad taste, we may with much propriety, proprietary, propriety do with ourselves. We must try whether we can endure browbeating, weariness, slander, jeering, and hardship, and whether we can be made the offscouring of all things and be treated as nothing for Christ's sake. If we can endure all these, we have some of the points which indicate the possession of the rare qualities which should meet in a true servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. I gravely question whether some of us will find our vessels, when far out at sea, to be quite so seaworthy as we think of them. O oh, my brethren, make sure of it while you are yet in this retreat, and diligently labor to fit yourself for your high calling. You will have trials enough, and woe to you if you do not go forth armed from head to foot with armor of proof. You will have to run with horsemen. Let not the footmen weary you while in your preliminary studies. The devil is abroad, and with him are many. Prove your own selves, and may the Lord prepare you for the crucible and for the furnace which assuredly await you. Your tribulation may not in all respects be so severe as that of Paul and his companions, but you must be ready for the like ordeal. So, you see this test upon the young man. You see what, what he went through. This is what God calls us to. Why would Jesus, one week after being threatened with his life and being tried to be thrown off a cliff, go right back into the synagogue? This is not normal behavior. I was in Israel this summer and, and, and they, I gave talks all over the country and people were very nice and everybody was very good to me. And I had this, these VIP passes so that when I get to the airport with my family, I get expedited through these lines. And so, you know, I'm really thinking a lot of myself at this point. And so I get to the, the airport and... For some reason, I don't know what it was. I don't know if it was because my wife's, my wife's birth, even though she has an American passport, she's an American citizen, was born in Pakistan. Or because I had been to Saudi Arabia, so I have that visa stamp in my passport. I don't know what it was. But they started questioning deeper and deeper and deeper questions. And then they took apart our luggage. I mean, everything. It's not like the typical... U.S. method. I mean, they take everything out. Every little package, every little slot is open. Every little uh, uh, um, uh, uh, lipstick container is opened and extended. Everything. They examine everything, and then they would swipe down everything and test it. And then once they got done with a few of the bags and marked them as being inspected, they started again back on those bags all over again. So... At this point, I'm, I'm not very comfortable. And then I, I got this invitation to go back to Israel. And even, 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 uh, even when we got in the airplane, it took us three hours. So we got to the airport three hours early, and we had to rush to get on our flight. And so even Ben and, 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 and Shireen were saying to me, Dad, just get over it. But I wasn't getting over this thing easily. I thought, I, you know, 
I deserved better than this after I had poured out my life for them for an entire month, giving 13 lectures for free. They should treat me better than this. You know, and I really started thinking that I was something. And even my, my, my 16-year-old son is saying, Dad, just get over it. It's okay. Jesus is going to be thrown off the cliff by this group of people. He says, I'll go right back into a synagogue and start ministering. This is what God calls us to. This is the character that He wants out of us. Look in 2 Corinthians chapter 6. 2 Corinthians chapter 6. You will see the requirements upon us as believers. If you don't like the requirements, then you signed up for the wrong task. 2 Corinthians chapter 6. Reading from verse 1, 2 Corinthians 6, 1. And working together with him, we also urge you not to receive the grace of God in vain. For he says, at an acceptable time, I listened to you. And on the day of salvation, I helped you. Behold, now is the acceptable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Giving no cause for offense in anything, so that the ministry will not be discredited. But in everything, commending ourselves as servants of God, in much endurance, in affliction, in hardships, in distresses, in beatings, in imprisonments, in tumults, in labors, in sleeplessness, in hunger, in purity, in knowledge, in patience, in kindness, in the Holy Spirit, in genuine love, in the word of truth, in the power of God, by the weapons of righteousness by the right, for, for the right hand and the left, by glory and dishonor, by evil report and good report, regardless, regarded as deceivers and yet true, as unknown yet well known, as dying yet behold, we live, as punished yet not put to death, as sorrowful yet always rejoicing, as poor yet make, making many rich, as having nothing yet possessing all things. This is what God has called you to. It would do you well to memorize that portion. Because this is what you have been called to as believers. As ministers of the gospel, this is what we are called to. This is why Jesus can turn around and say, Hey, you know, I'm the Son of God. I don't deserve this treatment. Who do you think you are? You think you're something? You are not. You are the base things of this world. God has chosen the, the, the despised He has chosen. God has chosen you and He has put you forward. This is the same thing He says to me. I can't hold this thing against these people. I am to go back and to continue to minister. This is what he calls us to. Look what he says. He says, don't take, in verse 1, the grace of God in vain. That's the Second Corinthians 6.1. God has given you grace. God gives you grace to get over this. Don't, take, don't receive His grace in vain. In other words, it's vanity for God to give all this grace and not to take, take of it. Jesus said, if, if they have done these things to me, Master and Lord, how much more will they do it to you? Jesus warned us. Jesus warned us. If they have done this thing to him, how much more will they do, for, to, do to you? You know, one day you will get your degree and you'll think, hey, I'm really something because I got my degree from Rice. You're really nothing. Remember, all of us are base things. When it comes to ministering the gospel, we are to go forth and people will say things that are offensive to us, but we must endure it for the gospel's sake. For the gospel's sake, we are to endure this. Look at what this man went through. He says in verse 3, Give no cause for offense in anything. In other words, you don't be the source of an offense, so that the ministry will not be discredited. In everything, commending ourselves as servants of God. This is what you are. 
You are a servant of God. So la, 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 you have a PhD from Rice. Big deal. No, you are a servant of God. You are a servant of God. This is who you are. This is who I am. This is what the scriptures remind us of, of what we are. We are servants of God. In much endurance, in much afflictions, in hardships, in distresses. This is the pattern. You say, well, I didn't, you know, I, I shouldn't get this. I deserve more. No. Remember, you don't deserve any more. This is what you deserve. This is what's written of what you deserve. This is what we get. If someone, someday, should give you some respect, you don't deserve it. You know, just thank God that you got it in this instance. But in a heartbeat, that thing can turn. Remember, they were just praising Jesus, talking about the wonderful words that were falling from His lips. He tells them two stories, three verses from the Old Testament. Two, two passages, uh, one about the, 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 the widow woman with Elijah, one about Naaman the Syrian with Elisha, and they want to kill him. The implication that he might be gracious to the Gentile was enough for them to turn on him. If they have done this to our Master and Lord, how much more will they do to you? Jesus said this. In beatings, in imprisonments, in tumults. I have never been beaten. I have never been beaten. I have never shed a drop of blood. The scriptures say, you've never shed a drop of blood for the Lord. It's speaking of me. Never have I. One day a guy threatened to punch me in the face because I was doing open air preaching of the gospel. But he never hit me. I've never had the opportunity to shed blood for the Lord. He says, in beatings. You know, it wasn't... It, it, I'll, I'll give you American, uh, uh, American view of, of persecution. I wear a Christian t-shirt that says, you know, Navigators or InterVarsity or God Loves You, and someone is offended by that shirt. Oh, the persecution that I go through on campus. Oh, someone was offended by my shirt. That's persecution. You know, this is the idea of American persecution. This doesn't even enter into the Bible. There's no verses on that. It doesn't even rise to the, to the level of, of, of anything. It's irrelevant to the Bible. You want to know what the Bible talks about? Here's what it talks about. In beatings, plural. One beating doesn't qualify us. It's in beatings. It has to be multiple beatings. In imprisonments. Going to prison once for the Lord, you're still not qualified. It's multiple imprisonments. In tumults, in labors, in sleeplessness, in hunger. Oh, you, you've gone three hours without a meal. I'm so sorry. You're starving. It's like my 16-year-old comes in. Says, I'm starving. I have to eat. I'm, I said, well, let's wait. No, I'm, I'm starving. How can you be starving? You just ate at lunch and it's dinner time. How can you be starving? You don't look starving to me. I mean, just settle down. You know, in hunger, this is what it says. In hunger, in purity. God calls us to purity. He calls us to a higher level. We can't do like the world does. You can't run around, women here, you can't run around with guys like the world, like women of the world do. Guys, you can't have women like men of the world do. You cannot. He calls us to something of purity, something higher. This is part of the cost of walking with Christ. You want to be a servant of the Lord? This is what He calls you to. You don't want to be a servant of the Lord? Say it and go. Go. 
This is what He calls us to as servants of the Lord. In purity, our lives have to be different. That means I can't do what other people do. I can't go to places that other people might go. I can't say what other people might say. I can't look at what other people might look at. Because He calls me to purity. As a servant of the Lord, this is what I am called to. To purity, in knowledge, in patience, in kindness. You know, He has called us to a level of patience and kindness that the world is not called to. It can't be, well, they did this to me, so I'm going to do that to them. Wrong. You are wrong. You can't return back evil for evil. You must return good for evil. This is what the Scriptures call us to. He calls us to something higher. This is why Jesus can return good for evil. They try to kill Him, He goes right back into the synagogue. They did the same to Paul. They tried to kill Him. He walked right back into the same town. Why? Because we must walk in a higher level of forgiveness, in a higher level of patience. This is what He's called us to. In kindness, in the Holy Spirit, in genuine love, in the word of truth, He calls us to speaking truthfully. The world can get away with many things. He calls us to be something different. This is what a servant of the Lord is called to. He says, uh, um, in the word of truth, in in the power of God, by the weapons of righteousness, for the right hand and for the left. You see, you are not alone in this. God empowers you. This is not, you know, just me, little Jim Tour, standing all alone. No, God empowers me. God empowers me. Who am I? to be given the opportunities that I'm given. And God empowers me. God will empower you. You can call down power from on high that the world has no access to. This is how you can do it. This is how you can be called to something higher. Because remember, don't take the grace of God in vain. The grace of God is there. There is grace. There is grace. The grace of God is here for us. The grace of God is here. Don't take the grace of God in vain. So in other words, there's grace here. Take hold of it. He gives extraordinary power to His believers, to believers in Him, if people will call upon Him. This is what He's saying. The power is there. Verse 9. As unknown, yet well known. So one day you're going to become well known. You'll be the CEO of some big company. The Bible says, you must proceed as if you were unknown. Do you know who I am? Do you know I've given lectures all over this country? They just, they just tore apart my bags. Everything. Twice. That God will take us and put us as, as we are unknown, even if we are well known. Be prepared for that. As dying, yet behold we live. As punished, yet not put to death. As sorrowful, yet always rejoicing as poor, yet making many rich. You know, God calls us differently. Even, even in, in the way we deal with money. That our money is to make others rich. We are to be blessing others with the things that He gives us. This is what He calls us to. We are as, as if we are poor, yet making many rich. And then He says, uh, having nothing, yet possessing all things. Our mouth is spoken freely to you. And so then he goes on. So, so then the, the other thing is, is he, he says here, um, 
in, in verse 8, he says, By glory and dishonor, by evil report and good report, regarded as deceivers and yet true. One day you are going to, people will accuse you of being deceivers when you're trying to be honest about something. Well, be prepared for that. Don't go crying to God, sucking your thumb and saying, look what's happened to me. The Bible warned you of it. Everything that you will ever go through is encompassed right here. It's included right here. That's why if you take this and and you commit this to memory, even, it will do you well. So that when these things come upon you, you can say, Lord, this is just what you have promised me. This is the lot that you have promised me to go through. And so you... uh, there's this uh, portion in, uh, where Jesus spoke of this. Uh, let's see if I can find this. It's in Matthew. And I can't find it. Anyway, it's, it's in Matthew where Jesus says, He says, um, If they have done this to the Master, how much more will they do to you? Expect it. These things will come. And that's why Jesus could march out of one synagogue after them trying to kill him and right back into another. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for the truth of your word. I pray, Lord, you take these young people and you make them different because of the truth of your word, that they would not pick up these offenses over so many small things but they would be able to endure as we have been called to endure. Father, that they would be like that young man that was tested by by Professor Wilkes. Father, that they would lay down their pride and take up humility. Father, that they they would be able to be tested in these things and yet endure. Father, I pray that you would so work in their young hearts to ready them, to prepare them for what's ahead. Father, that they would be different because of your word, because of the truth of it. Father, I pray you have mercy on their hearts and work in their lives. And Father, I commit them to you and ask your grace and blessings upon them. In the name of Jesus.